Georgi Tinkov, Ray Pete, we were just talking about redundancy, prepping, and being prepared for a future where they kick you out of the financial system, tell you you can't go to the grocery store, and what else, Ray? What else will we not allowed to not be allowed to do in the future? Uh, basically, anything that spends money. And then, and I, I mean, I, we're talking about prepping for like a, a moment, a momentary thing. But if you're kicked out of the financial system for life, there, there's going to have to be a rise new kind of alternative ways of exchange. Correct? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the uh, a lot of people are uh, getting uh, silver, uh, and uh, gold doesn't work too well for. Uh, daily exchanges because you'd have to chop it up into such tiny pieces. But uh, silver is convenient as a a, a practical uh, currency. In uh, excuse my ignorance, but how would that even work? Like, would the person know like how much like an ounce of or a tiny amount of gold would be like valued at in an exchange? Uh, uh, yeah, but that. With gold, it involves a certain amount of trust that mm. the person doesn't have some strange alloy that he's punning off. But silver is very practical in the sense that you can carry enough in your pocket to feed yourself for quite a few days. And it's... Uh, identifiable as silver rather than other things. And then isn't in Klaus's book, uh, I have not, not read the book, unfortunately, but it, I think he says people will live outside the smart cities and things like that. So that alternative economy, I mean, even the people pulling these heists are, are recognizing that that, that is going to be a thing. Uh, what isn't going to be? Then not everybody is going to live in the smart cities with the identifications and things like that. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the, the uh, probably uh, seventy or eighty percent of the people will uh, just do whatever the government tells them to. But if ten or ten or twenty percent of the people set up an outside economy, it'll work. And then Georgie interrupted at any moment here. And then, I mean, this is the last show of the year, you know, uh, what, <laughs> without getting too like a maybe an elevator pitch, like what, is there anything that sticks out in your mind is like phenomenally important or too many things that stick out in your mind? Like, uh, uh what are your thoughts on 2021? About this past year? Yeah. Uh, just everything that happened. Just hor uh, horrifying in general. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And, the, uh, the the solutions are being hidden from all ends of the political spectrum. Everyone is being taught that the other end of the spectrum is out to get them, and it's really only the one hundredth of one percent which is out to get everyone else. The uh, the, the people that Hillary and Obama uh, called called the deplorables, uh, they are uh, just as much uh, ready for uh, an actual solution and radical change uh, as the people who think of themselves as the 
uh, vanguard and uh, most progressive. When I was picking up a bunch of packages, there was an uh, art studio next to that. And the woman kind of um, told me to come in the art studio and we got to talking. And then her husband came and we inevitably started talking about COVID. And each, both of them in Mexico had three vaccines. And one was from England and the other one was from Israel. And then we, the husband and I started talking because he reads research. And he, when we were talking, he had to put me in a partisan box. Like he couldn't, <laughs> it was, he, he had to label me as like a Trump supporter to, to entertain anything I was saying, even though I was telling him that I haven't voted since Bush Kerry, but like it, it was, he was like unable to entertain any idea outside of partisan politics, but he was English. It, he wasn't even American. It was very odd. Uh, what nationality? He was from London and, and his wife, oh. wife was from Israel. Uh, uh, yeah. The, the English are uh, uh, more, more obedient than Americans. And then the the thing I've been running into anytime I talk to a normal person about this is that coronavirus is so dangerous that anything uh, is worth, however tyrannical the implementation is, it's worth it because coronavirus is the most dangerous thing we've ever experienced in our lifetime. Uh, yeah, that really is. Uh, people should just start looking at some of the facts. Uh, have you heard any of Norman Fenton's? No. Uh, 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 talks about these statistics. He, he's a, a, a professor at the Queen's, Queen's University in London, a, 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 a statistical, uh, practical questions, uh, and he, all of his papers used to be published until he decided to look at uh, uh, the, the actual figures for uh, mortality and what, what the virus is doing. Uh, and anytime you look at the uh, actual uh, deaths from uh, the so-called pandemic, uh, what they did was simply rename influenza and uh, several other major causes of seasonal death, uh, simply renamed them COVID, and it had to miraculous effect of ending death from influenza around the world for a couple of years. Uh, but essentially, uh, just looking at those, the, the, the one or two weeks figures for uh, when uh, there's a gigantic surge in deaths from COVID, uh, there's a gigantic disappearance of deaths from influenza. Just looking at that one fact coming out of the CDC and uh, other government agencies, uh, the only thing you conclude is that there is, is never was a COVID pandemic. Uh, people have had coronavirus colds for hundreds of years, uh, and that's all it is. It's a renaming uh, any respiratory-related sickness and even all sorts of other uh, things as COVID just to um, create panic. So I'm starting to question even the influenza. How did they know before in the past when we had the 60 to 80,000 deaths in the United States from, from the flu? How did they know these were from the flu? They, they didn't uh, test them with the uh, PCR test. Uh, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, just a few years ago, uh, people asked that question. Uh, and the CDC said, well, 
uh, might not have really been 60,000 deaths this year, but it was uh, uh, at least 1,200 caused by the influenza virus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about we call them iatrogenic deaths? Because one thing is certain, these people died in the hospitals, right? Uh, Yeah. Are they still so using- maybe that's all it is. Every year we have at least sixty to eighty thousand people dying in the hospital, showing up with respiratory symptoms, but ultimately they died in the care of the of these doctors. I mean, I don't know of many people who died from the flu at home. Uh, uh, yeah, and w- once you see the uh, terrible uh, uh, emptiness of the government figures regarding uh, coronavirus. Uh, that might make you wonder, uh, what about the other vaccines? Uh, did the polio vaccine really cure polio, or did suddenly polio disappear to be replaced by almost identical numbers of Guillain-Barre paralysis mm-hmm. and other paralytic diseases? Uh, the, uh, the vaccine cured the named paralysis, but uh, didn't cure the incidence of paralytic disease. Do you think this Guillain-Barre syndrome has has its origin in the gastrointestinal tract, some kind of inflammatory reaction there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, polio virus and uh, all of the related things are, are uh, essentially a gastrointestinal. Uh, way back in the 1920s or 30s, uh, uh, a gastroenterologist was experimenting with uh, 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 distemper in dogs, uh, and he could uh, give them an infection and then cut them open and see what was happening. Uh, and uh, in the early stages of the distemper sickness, uh, where they, they had classified it as a respiratory disease, uh, all that was happening was virus infection of the intestine, and reflexes from the intestine were causing the respiratory symptoms, but the respiratory uh, uh, tissues were absolutely free of virus at the peak of the disease. It was all intestinal infection uh, causing reflex uh, uh, inflammation uh, of the lungs and respiratory system. And that seems to be how a lot of the viruses work. They first make your intestine permeable to bacteria and toxins, and then it's the sepsis that triggers the inflammatory cytokine storm sort of thing. So this this reflux pneumonia, which they they prepare for during surgery, they give people uh, anti-acid drugs. So basically, like we're seeing that in all of the, uh, in uh, you're saying we're seeing this in the other paralytic conditions. It can happen even without surgery. It can happen without. So when people lie on the operating table, they usually before that they give them these strong anti-acid drugs because they're afraid that they're going to reflux, and oh, oh. it's going to get into their lungs and cause pneumonia. But you're saying that uh, we, uh, we can have this even without the surgery. Uh, I, yeah. The, the, uh, there, there have been some very clear studies in which uh, 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 people who, who recover slowly from surgery or who die uh, following complications after surgery 
what's happening is that the stress of the surgery made their intestine permeable to the toxins uh, that are not being suppressed by active digestion. Uh, and if they clean their intestine uh, for two or three days thoroughly with antibiotics before going into surgery, uh, just about 100% of them had no surgical stress complications following the, the cutting. So I guess it will be a good regimen if, if somebody's about to have surgery, even if it's not abdominal, if it's going to be a long-time surgery, just just sterilize the intestine anyways. Uh, yeah, e even if the doctors aren't, if they don't read the literature, uh, the person should uh, take laxatives and have uh, uh, make sure their hormones are good, uh, ha have a very fibrous diet uh, for several days before surgery, uh, get a, a clean flow going through. Speaking of fiber, I actually wanted to talk about oat bran. And so the, a long time ago, you know, somebody asked you, like, what were the safest grains? And I think you said masaharina, oats, and maybe one other thing I can't remember. But is you using oat bran, is that more of an intestinal disinfectant or is it a source of carbohydrate for you? Um, the oat bran, I read that a cup of the cooked stuff, it's fairly filling and uh, so a, a cup is a big serving, but it has only 88 calories for regular oatmeal has maybe 250 or so for the same thing. So it it's, does provide some carbohydrate, but it's strongly buffered by the uh, presence of, of a higher uh, fiber content. Uh, and studies in animals showed that uh, uh, over a, a long run, uh, you might have to worry about uh, some of the uh, breakdown products uh, of uh, the soluble uh, uh, fibers that, that uh, can have an estrogenic effect. But in the short run, up to a year or so, its effect is a, a matter of the bulk and acceleration of the intestines, so it has an anti-estrogen effect for people who have been reabsorbing the estrogen that their liver tries to excrete. So, if would you still use the carrot when you had a, a oat bran in the morning or something? Um, um, yeah, uh, and for someone, uh, occasionally someone has an oversensitive uh, intestine. Uh, and the carrot is too powerfully stimulating and uh, can cause uh, 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 oh, uh, a headache or uh, diarrhea or uh, uh, other intestinal reactions. So uh, the, the oat bran is milder. Uh, uh, mushrooms are, are sort of in between. Uh, it depends on how you, if you grind them or chop them fairly fine, uh, they uh, are an effective but fairly mild fiber. Uh, uh, bamboo shoots are very, very high fiber content. Uh, so a, a little of it uh, has a, a strong effect in helping to clean up your intestine. 
I will say Oprian as a breakfast, I really don't know much better than that. It's so easy to make. It takes like a minute and even like a fourth a cup seems really filling. <laughs> so it's like. I, I, yeah, and if, if you put the right amount of butter and salt yeah. in it when, you, when you're cooking, it's really extremely pleasant. With milk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, milk, uh, milk, butter, and Sugar and then, um, but you you did mention of course, and the whole internet knows this, but it contains phytic acid, so you'd want to have more calcium. Or if you made it with milk, do you think that would balance it out? Um, um, it some some studies say that uh, it, it just about uh, negates the value of the milk you have with it. So mm-hmm. you probably have to eat uh, uh, extra milk more than you would think. And but uh, two quarts of milk will take care of just about anything. And then I think even a fourth a cup might have had like 500 milligrams of phosphorus in it. So that is just adding to kind of the daily phosphorus intake. Uh, yeah. So you really need a, a lot of milk to balance it. Great stuff. And Georgie, interrupt me at any point in time. But, you know, I just moved into a new place and I've been scanning my environment for things that might be uh, inflammatory or toxic. And so I have some, and I, Ray, I emailed you about a bed, you know, because I, I, fingers crossed I'm here for a long time. But uh, like, just open question to you, if you were to move into a house with all the new technologies and things, what do you think would be the first things that you would uh, deem as a huge problem and try to mitigate? Uh, If it has computer stuff, I I would uh, get wired, they call it Ethernet, a cable connections between all of the parts instead of uh, uh, Wi-Fi. And what about uh, grounding equipment? And so I've been spending lots of time with uh, speaker wire and taking the prongs out of plugs and wrapping them around and plugging them into, into grounds. So do you think, so I have like a bunch of equipment on the desk right now. Do, should I try, or should a person try to ground everything metal in their environment? Um, it, check it if you have a field meter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, check uh, wh- whether your uh, monitor is putting out a big field. Uh, and uh, uh, my uh, 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 Macintosh monitor was uh, had a huge field and was was very hot. So I just bought a different monitor, and uh, I, I have a grounding pad, but it didn't uh, affect the uh, uh, Macintosh. Uh, uh, monitor uh, enough to uh, bother with. What, what's the more effective strategy, grounding every item and yourself, or is it more important to be uh, for yourself to be grounded or what? Uh, it, only if it has a, a big field, uh, you're, you're sure it's reaching out mm-hmm. uh, two or three feet beyond the, the, the monitor or your keyboard. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you have things connected by uh, the wires, uh, your general environment is is much reduced. And then similar question, uh, you mentioned maybe, I don't know, four or five years ago about grounding a person's bed. Can you maybe explain that a little bit more if you think that's something important? Uh, um, probably uh, going barefoot in Mexico, the temperature is, is good enough that you can uh, walk barefoot outside <laughs> anytime you feel like it, uh, uh, and even in town, people are going to look at you <laughs> if you walk barefooted down the sidewalk, but there's no law against it. 
uh, and uh, the daytime contact with the earth, uh, I think is enough to uh, get you through the night without grounding. But you, you can get uh, uh, sheets and bedding that have uh, uh, copper wires uh, woven into the fabric uh, and um, uh, a connection to uh, put a wire to ground. Uh, and uh, theoretically, that uh, protects you uh, considerably from the, uh, if you have a, a, a 60 cycle uh, or 50 cycle electricity in your environment. And what's like the bioenergetic perspective of being grounded? Like what, what exactly does that even do? Um, they talk about it as a, <coughs> a, 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 a sort of a buffer to, to the electrons that are uh, being produced uh, meta- metabolically. Uh, and if you take a piece of skin uh, people, people vary according to their metabolic rate and thyroid function. But uh, you, you can put a piece of skin in a culture dish, uh, and it will keep projecting a static field uh, 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 into the surrounding space. If you put cyanide in the culture dish, stopping respiration, the electrical field collapses, uh, and washing the cyanide out, the field comes back. Uh, and so uh, people are, uh, in effect, bristling with their own, uh, it's like a, a, a static field. Uh, an electret is what you call it when it's uh, established in wax or plastic. Uh, for a long time, they had electret. Uh, needles for phonograph pickups uh, and uh, instead of uh, electromagnetic it was a a, a piece of uh, ceramic or plastic that had a static electrical field implanted in the plastic or ceramic as it was hardening uh, and that polarized uh, system of electrons uh, projects the field permanently so that you, if you vibrate that uh, piece of plastic, uh, it creates an electrical current. Uh, So it's just a variation on electromagnetic uh, pickups. But it's a a very powerful phenomenon that uh, if you're handling uh, plastic bottles, uh, for example, sometimes it will... uh, mess up the uh, uh, ability to control the fluid that you want to get out of the bottle because the the plastic has such a strong electrical field built into it. Uh, And uh, we, uh, uh, being a soft, flexible material, uh, we have to generate that structure and field uh, uh, momentarily by respiring. Uh, And that... Uh, in an isolated environment that could uh, lead to influences uh, uh, backwards from our environment to our metabolism. Uh, And uh, supposedly if you ground yourself, uh, that keeps the uh, extraneous 
uh, charges from interfering with your own biological uh, generation of that electret-like uh, static field. Very interesting. So wouldn't, well, instead of grounding yourself, wouldn't taking, um, I don't know, a hefty dosage of quinones like methylene blue or vitamin K would have a similar effect? Uh, that keeps you oxidizing. Uh, uh, that, that's protective internally, but the, the, the grounding uh, people emphasize that uh, it's pr- protective, at least in some uh, circumstances, to uh, make, make sure you aren't being uh, uh, surrounded by uh, the, the wrong kind of electrical charge. Oh, this is from like if you're if you're submerged in a static field because of electric devices or things like that. That's that that's what the grounding protects from. Uh, yeah, Th- that was my next question because I I forgot what the experiment was, but somebody on YouTube showed that when they were grounded, I don't, I can't remember how they did this, but they showed that the EMF was less intense or something that, and that made me more interested in it after hearing that. Uh, uh, yeah. I repeated those experiments and uh, you, you can see the change. Uh, your, your body, uh, when I was doing uh, electrical stimulation experiments, I, I tried to set up uh, things to detect uh, the internal uh, electrical behavior of tissues and organisms, but uh, I found that uh, putting a, a strong detector uh, on uh, my animal or my tissue or, or, or myself, uh, we got the uh, rock music radio station, uh, uh, no, no matter what tissue we were uh, trying to examine, uh, the the uh, radio station was so powerful, uh, it was swamping uh, all of the uh, intrinsic biological signals. <laughs> That's like a low-level EMF device that you were using, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's probably way worse now. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, b- before I ever supplemented thyroid, uh, I, uh, I think it was 1976 that I first... I decided to uh, go ahead with my intuition uh, because before that, uh, I knew that I had the hypothyroid uh, uh, signs, uh, uh, the the classical things, except that my metabolic rate was very high. Uh, Just at rest, uh, I was burning about 4,000 calories, and uh, in a BMR test, I I was... uh, Two or three hundred percent above normal oxygen consumption, uh, and uh, that delayed me for several years from uh, believing that I could be hypothyroid. But uh, anyway, when I took thyroid, suddenly my uh, metabolic energy went down towards normal. Uh, uh, but uh, in the uh, few years before I took thyroid, uh, being around lab instruments of various sorts, I was able to see that that high internal metabolism was causing me to have extremely exaggerated projection of charge fields around me, so that in lab where we had to use an electronic stimulator to produce a certain voltage to uh, stimulate cells. If if I reached towards it, got within a foot of it, uh, 
to adjust a knob, uh, the machine would uh, just suddenly run off scale and go full force. Uh, and as I pulled my hand away, it would uh, uh, go back, sort of, sort of like the uh, theremin music uh, in- instrument that uh, you adjust the pitch according to your position of your hand. But uh, I had to always have my lab partner uh, uh, operate the machine because my hand uh, made it malfunction, uh, and uh, anything electrical. Uh, uh, tended to be disturbed. Uh, even a, a, a cosmic ray cloud chamber, uh, the, the ionization uh, behavior of the uh, uh, humid atmosphere uh, was cleared up uh, by a, this field that extended about a, a foot to a foot and a half beyond my body. So the people who are who uh, basically tend to get shocked very often for no apparent reason, is it fair to say that they have very high rate of metabolism, but the electrons are not getting getting paired properly with oxygen, so they build up, and they sort of create this field. Yeah, I think so. I, so I, w- when you were taking thyroid, thyroid, what happened? I mean, I guess it lowered your stress hormones, so your metabolic rate went down. Um. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen it in three or four other uh, men about the same age in, in their uh, 30s usually uh, who uh, no matter how much they ate couldn't put on weight they would often be 120 or 30 pounds uh, for a, a standard height but if, if they took thyroid suddenly their uh, ability to build muscle and, and fat uh, with a normal amount of food uh, was restored. Uh, uh, when you're hypothyroid, I, I think the mechanism is that uh, your cells lose the ability to constantly retain magnesium. Uh, and uh, so if the cells lose magnesium chronically, uh, they run their energy apparatus uh, to uh, the magnesium allows the ATP to accumulate, and if you can't accumulate the ATP, you have to make it constantly. Uh, and the uh, uh, thyroid supplement, uh, uh, I think, uh, is letting you retain the necessary magnesium to stabilize the ATP uh, so you can turn off the, the production periodically. So these people are basically have upregulated glycolysis to produce the necessary ATP through the less efficient means if thyroid is not available. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's where the symptoms and deterioration come in. So it's uh, it's very wasteful of food to uh, have that happen, but it uh, keeps things working very nicely. But what about the people who put on weight too easily? Like, uh, what's the explanation there? Uh, again, in terms of low thyroid, or uh, yeah, just low thyroid is is not running the machine fast enough. Um, who do you say is in a worse position? A, a person who puts on weight easily, or cannot put on weight no matter how much they eat? Um, the, the people I've known, uh, uh, like myself, uh, uh, were very energetic and and healthy. Uh, but they just couldn't 
put on weight no matter how much they eat. Um, okay, but this is still stress metabolism, right? Because uh, thyroid wasn't functioning properly. Uh, well, uh, it was uh, as long as it was able to uh, use the energy and make ATP, it didn't have to resort to other other sources to make ATP. Uh, so, it, uh, in those hypermetabolic states. Uh, there's not necessarily any glycolysis going on. And what, and what was keeping your metabolic rate so high if, if thyroid wasn't optimal? Uh, um, I, I think a diet that uh, was heavy on, on phosphate, not enough uh, calcium and magnesium. Uh, the, the, uh, in... Uh, People who have experimented with allergy patients uh, found that the, the uh, active thyroid hormone let you retain magnesium if you were given it, but without the T3, you could put the magnesium in and they would work perfectly for a few days and then they would lose the magnesium. Uh, so... Uh, T taking a supplement of magnesium can temporarily uh, uh, moderate your metabolism, so you uh, uh, don't don't have that hyper uh, metabolic reaction to low thyroid. But you have to keep taking it over and over because you lose it quickly without the ATP. I, I, yeah, uh, the, the the doctors experimenting on their patients found that uh, uh, just. Uh, one or two intravenous doses uh, uh, was uh, uh, enough to work for, for a week, uh, but then they could take it orally uh, and uh, keep keep their magnesium up and their allergies down. And maybe you mentioned a few years ago with good thyroid function, you could even get, I don't know, what was it, like 200 milligrams of magnesium? That would be sufficient. Like some people on the internet take like 1,000 or 2,000 milligrams every day. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the body, uh, when it's efficient, uh, can suck up and retain uh, a fairly modest amount uh, from your food supply. Uh, but if your thyroid is low, then uh, then you have to worry about the uh, constant supply of, of uh, generous magnesium. So in keeping, uh, thanks for that, in keeping with our anti uh, non-toxic, anti-inflammatory home, uh, probably, I don't know, was it 2018? I emailed you about uh, the, a home uh, air, air purifier and you told me you had the Mystic Marvels device. And so I immediately bought that and experimented with it. And so that's can, one, like what is a negative ion generator and why is it useful? Uh, the majority of the uh, careful studies uh, found that the serotonin disposition is increased immediately by uh, negative ions uh, in the air in particular because the lungs are the main the liver does it but the lungs have the first access to the circulating platelets carrying serotonin produced by stress and irritation, inflammation. Uh, uh, 
So if your lungs need a boost of energy to detoxify that circulating stress-related serotonin, the uh, electrons <laughs> uh, delivered on air ions uh, uh, participate directly in the uh, monoamino oxidase uh, reaction uh, uh, to, to eliminate it. And some of the studies show that the blood level uh, of serotonin is decreased as you ha have more ionized negative air. So just having that around you, especially in the evening time, uh, like maybe next to your bed, would it be a good way to not uh, go extremely hypometabolic during the nighttime? Uh, yeah. Amazing. I, uh, okay. I, I think very high altitude, uh, uh, the uh, ultraviolet in the air is intense enough to uh, give you a steady supply of uh, negative ions. Oh, interesting. Why, why do you think uh, some people email be studies showing that there's a, an increased risk of suicide at altitude? What do you, what do you think is responsible oh, for that? If it's even I, legit? I, I looked at many of the countries around the world, uh, and that simply is a bad generalization. It probably has to do with social economic uh, conditions in Colorado, which uh, they were looking at. But uh, when you look at Bangladesh uh, and Tibet and uh, Colombia uh, and uh, uh, the low-lying uh, Latin cultures, uh, there's absolutely no correlation. In fact, the people living in the field uh, have a much higher rate, right? Uh, yeah. The, the um, yeah, yeah, generally the health is worse as your altitude is lower. Uh, every thousand feet of altitude where you live decreases heart disease mortality, cancer mortality, and dementia. Um, you mentioned in some of your books about the extreme longevity in places like Azerbaijan and like uh, the, the Caucasus Mountains. Um, and uh, there is this guy, I think his last name is Muslimov. He used to, he lived in the so former Soviet Union. He, he was an Azeri guy who had a passport showing that he was 160 some years old when he actually died. Um, he, I mean, the altitude there is 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 high, but it's not that high. He le he lived at an altitude of about um, eighteen hundred meters. Um, so so why? I mean, do you think there's studies that uh, have you seen studies that show that even higher altitude, like in the Himalayas, for example, the Sherpas that live there at much higher altitude, are they living on average longer? Uh, all the figures I've seen show that cancer and heart disease are are consistently. The lower, the higher you live. Uh, and osteoporosis is something very uh, directly connected. Uh, your, your bones get stronger and uh, teeth stay in longer. So the altitude, I guess, is half of it and the other half is diet. Because that guy who lived to 168 ate mostly milk and a little bit of bread. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah uh, that area, uh, uh, the dairy area, they got uh, plenty of milk and cheese. 
Yeah, I, he got he got married at the age of 140 and had children. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> Azerbaijan is uh, you've mentioned them frequently, right? They have like kind of the foods you recommend, isn't that right? Like historically. Uh, yeah, I've seen pictures of their meals. They look very delicious. Uh, Did you go there when you visited the Soviet Union? Uh, nope. Amazing. Okay, we'll give Ray a break here. Let me uh, let me do a little advertisement. So the newsletter is available by email now. It's $28, uh, which can be paid through PayPal to Newsletter at gmail.com. And Ray, I, if I heard you correctly, you switched to um, f- how many times a month? Four? I mean, I'm sorry. How many oh, times oh, a year? Uh, four, four, four times? Four, four times a year. Uh, more, more or less quarterly. Uh, so uh, uh, instead of uh, a two-year subscription uh, with 12 issues total, uh, it's now uh, three years for $30 or one year for, for $10 for four issues. I should adjust this. Uh, ama- that's amazing. I don't know how you kept up with the two-month schedule. I think I would have quit doing that after maybe, uh, I don't know, a month or two. Like, I would have been re- yeah. really yeah, amazing. For, for the first 20 years, I was doing it every month. <laughs> oh uh, then the next 20, 21 years, I, I did it every other month. But uh, part of the thing was that uh, a bi-monthly subscription, uh, people were confused and thought their uh, subscription it was for one year because it was 12 issues or, or, or didn't know what bi-monthly meant. And so they were constantly causing uh, uh, e- email uh, questioning that, that took too much time. I, I just lost it. It was $30 for three years? What was it? Uh, uh, no, uh, $10 per year. Uh, okay. Uh, so for, for the, the 12 issues, that used to be $28 uh, now it comes to uh, thirty dollars. Ah, okay, got it. Okay, got it. Okay, and then also you can get your amazing books, Generative Energy from PMS to Menopause, Mind and Tissue, and Nutrition for Women by emailing newsletter at gmail dot com, and you can get them in digital. And uh, some of them are available in paperback, correct? Uh, yeah, several are still available. And then ProGestE from Kenogen, you can email Catherine to purchase uh, Kenogen at gmail.com. And each bottle of ProGestE contains 3,400 milligrams of progesterone. I just purchased 30 bottles. So thank you. Uh, Ray, please tell Catherine I said thank you. And then my plan is to mix that with, I purchased a lot of DHE from Bulk, I think it was BulkPowder.com, and I'll mix those together. But um, Ray, any recent progesterone stories that you have? Um, nope. <laughs> like, did we talk about cycling the last time you were on? How in, in, uh, imperative that was for even somebody? Uh, for for women, uh, it's very important uh, to the extent that their uh, estrogen is still uh, a problem uh, because even small amounts of estrogen, if it's continuous and not interrupted, uh, are carcinogenic eventually. Uh, and so the cycling function of progesterone is to thoroughly knock out uh, the estrogen influence and let the tissue gather itself together. Uh, it completely stops the, the estrogen cycle, if, uh, carcinogenic cycle, if you uh, interrupt it properly. But when you take progesterone steadily uh, without the interruption, uh, your liver... Uh, interprets uh, the uh, constant high level of progesterone uh, 
uh, as uh, being excessive. Uh, and so the uh, anything your liver experiences at a high level, uh, it produces enzymes to excrete. Uh, and so after two weeks, your liver has built up excretory uh, enzymes that inactivate the progesterone. Uh, and uh, so uh, after two weeks, uh, the effect of a given dose of progesterone is is weaker. Uh, and stopping for at least a week lets your liver reset its uh, uh, threshold uh, for excreting progesterone uh, so you get more for your money. A couple of questions here. Um, first of all, if progesterone being a catatoxic steroid, it, it increases the amount of cytochrome P450, uh, the amount the amount that is synthesized. Isn't that in general a very good thing because you're going to be able to detox quite a few other substances, even though that will also detox the progesterone faster? Uh, uh, yeah, it, it does have that general cleaning up effect. Okay, and then as far as the um, uh, the actual acceleration of the detox, w wouldn't it be less of a problem if the person took it topically, um, because it, the liver will get like uh, it will get a because it will avoid the first pass metabolism. It will be uh, the liver will have to deal with smaller amounts per unit of time, so it, it wouldn't it, upregulate it as much. It doesn't get it on the first pass right. anyway. Uh, that happens with some drugs. But uh, progesterone in vitamin E uh, being uh, perfectly soluble in uh, the chylomicrons uh, bypasses the liver uh, uh, many passes uh, until it is all distributed in your, your fat tissue, your brain, and uh, everywhere that takes it up. But the chylomicrons are privileged to pass through the liver. Uh, without giving up their progesterone. Uh, so there's no first-pass effect when you take uh, progesterone in vitamin E. And when you told the pharmaceutical rep that, he was not very happy to hear that? Because <laughs> you're, you're explaining your patent, right? That you, The pharmaceutical rep came to your house and he was talking about purchasing it, maybe? Uh, that was DHEA, uh -huh. actually. Uh, and uh, I, I told him, examples of, of how it worked for three hours or so all afternoon. <laughs> and he said, that's all very interesting, but that's not a good drug. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know this. You had what the DHA was dissolved in the vitamin E and that's, so that's something you had. I thought they were always uh, mixed together that you, uh, you were giving me. Yeah, no, it was a second patent two uh, years later. Oh, interesting. I think it's a testosterone, DHA and progesterone and pregnenolone, right? I, I noticed the, uh, they were separate. DHEA was a separate patent. Oh, so the because I think I saw something about testosterone in, in vitamin E from you. Uh, yeah, I, I used to uh, distribute that for, uh, especially for arthritis in either men or women, uh, and I wanted it so I didn't have to mix it special for each one, so I put a, a, a functional amount of all of them uh, so that it wouldn't be far out of balance for either men or women. Uh, and uh, applying it topically or orally, it was extremely effective for knocking out arthritis. Was testosterone not a controlled substance back in the day? I mean, did no. FDA 
clamped down, like uh, basically like uh, started yeah, really they, regulating it recently? Yeah, they, they got worse and worse. Wow. Speaking of vitamin E, uh, I've been a- meaning to ask you this for like 10 episodes now, but the, what is the vitamin K and vitamin E, uh, like bad redox event that happens when you take them together? Uh, oh, um, if they're pure, I, I, I have uh, the um, various uh, 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 analogs, vitamin K itself and things I extracted from liver uh, and various quinones, and uh, putting them together, uh, they formed a blackish-green uh, uh, apparently an oxidation project process, but putting that dark blackish green oil onto a paper chromatograph as the solvent moved up to paper, it separated them back into the normal vitamin K and vitamin E colors, showing that it was only a charge transfer. But that in the body, if you have a charge transfer circulating in your blood, uh, that becomes extremely sensitive to uh, environmental light effects. So, so if a person is going to take vitamin K or vitamin E, they should take them away from each other, right? Uh, yeah, some somewhat. Or, or not get exposed to bright sunlight or, or light for the next few hours. Yeah. Is, is riboflavin also subject to the same restriction, vitamin B2? Oh, it's um, anything. Uh, blue, blue light or ultraviolet uh, will destroy riboflavin and uh, cause uh, mutations and inflammation uh, in your tissues where it happens. So if you take a lot of riboflavin, you want to stay out of the sun uh, for a while. Have you seen the patents Pfizer filed on, they call it photodynamic therapy with methylene blue and, uh, and red light? I, I, yeah, but that's to kill viruses, basically. Uh, they also they also claim, I mean, they, they patented specifically for cancer. They're saying instead of giving you toxic drugs that increase reactive oxygen species, which is going to give you methylene blue and then irradiate you, and they will achieve the same uh, reactive oxygen species generation, which I think is dangerous, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the same as m- most chemotherapies. Uh, they they hope it's uh, uh, more specific to the cancer than to your brain cells, but uh, it uh, always kills a lot of your brain cells. If someone were in this in this day and age, especially the COVID, if they're really afraid of the virus and they think they have it. Would uh, like a, a controlled version of this, let's say just a few milligrams of methylene blue and some red light, would that be a good therapy, antiviral therapy? Uh, only good in the sense that it's less toxic than some other things. But uh, I wouldn't recommend it. What about for things like disinfecting water? Put some methylene blue and then irradiate with red light. Would that work? Uh, it... Um Probably would would leave some residues in the in the water that would be unpredictable. Okay. Uh, last thing about the negative ion generator, because that dude, the um, Mystic Marvels guy, he doesn't sell them anymore. And so a, a buddy of mine sent him an email, 
And he recommended the WEIN Wayne Wine uh, V2500 High Density Ionic Air Purifier. Do you have any opinion on that? Have you ever heard of it before? Uh, no, but I would trust that guy who yeah, exa- uh, know what he's talking about. Yeah, so uh, he, he, he stopped making it. He said it was just too much work. Didn't he also say people were buying them near the coast and that was breaking them? And, and so they, they would, he'd make it and then it would, they'd break and then they'd want to return them or something. <laughs> but yeah, so this is the one he recommended uh, for anybody that's interested. And then, well, the, again, we're really hopping around here. Um, but a, a lot of people are, and myself included, are, are confused about the variants. And so I remember the thing I remember uh, that David E. Martin said was the variants, you could like take the sequence of the, or coronavirus and just cut it off at different places and boom, you have a new variant is what is actually going on here? It's like, obviously they're not just like perfectly. Yeah, the, fu- the, the, the CDC uh, just recently told the FDA that uh, it could discontinue the use of PCR because it's meaningless. But the people who have been promoting it, uh, either we're completely ignorant about what a PCR is. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of supposedly confident people were uh, the, the uh, when you use it uh, to, to identify RNA, such as coronavirus, you have to make DNA from the RNA before you can run the PCR. Uh, on using the DNA uh, replicates or polymerase. Uh, and uh, so the full name for the method is uh, reverse transcriptase hyphen uh, uh, polymerase chain reaction. Uh, but uh, for some reason, some people were calling it real-time uh, PCR. They thought it sounded like it was more effective or something. Uh, ne- neglecting that the uh, uh, RT refers to uh, reverse transcriptase, uh, which is uh, uh, an essential part of the process. Uh, and uh, uh, almost no one uh, advocating the test has any idea what goes on uh, in uh, multiplying the DNA that you make from the RNA. Uh, and it's a manufacturing process that depends on the particular little stretch of DNA that you choose to amplify. And you choose a stretch of the DNA out of whatever RNA you might have started with. And so you have to trust that the RNA sample was actually meaningfully connected to the virus, uh, not to say anything about connected to the disease, but connected to the virus. Uh, And then that you chose a sequence to multiply uh, and that in the process of uh, increasing the amount of RNA uh, of that particular uh, bit of specimen, uh, uh, that you were actually uh, uh, re- replicating that DNA and not uh, some random background material. Uh, uh, but they they generally ran it 40 cycles 
uh, where uh, everyone recognized that beyond 25 uh, cycles, you were getting so many false positives, uh, it was meaningless. Uh, so there's nothing about the PCR test that has been used honestly, uh, and uh, it has very consistently be, been used fraudulently, deliberately, uh, by by the government agencies uh, and a lot of their apologists. But they, I mean, obviously Omicron and Delta, these are just media uh, marketing campaigns. Like these have, they can just create an uh, endless amount of variants and then put them through the channels of marketing, right? Right. Yeah. Well, at what point a mutation creates a totally new, um, what should I call it, family of viruses? Can the coronavirus mutate to the point where it becomes a completely different type, like species of a virus? It's no longer a coronavirus, but let's say a rhinovirus or any other RNA virus? Um, very unlikely, uh, even under lab circumstances, uh, it's hardly possible. Uh, so many uh, radical changes have to uh, be done. So wouldn't this mutation game eventually uh, sort of like get exhausted? Isn't that why we're starting to see this? They're start, now they're starting to hype up the avian viruses, the, the swine flu again is propping up. Uh, maybe yeah, they're running out of options. Uh, the normal uh, evolution of, of the virus is to get weaker and weaker and weaker. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so it has a better chance of surviving if it doesn't uh, kill its host prematurely. Uh, and uh, the, the, to the extent that there is some knowledge about the Omicron uh, version, uh, it's uh, very harmless, like a mild cold. I heard you could get a myocarditis from the Omicron variant. Is that true? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can get it from uh, any any virus. Well, everything that they accuse the coronavirus of causing from these long COVID, like a heart damage, lung damage, etc. If you Google that with influenza, you'll get at least ten studies saying that flu can cause it as well. Uh, yeah, I think long COVID is as questionable. And short COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, one last thing, and then we can go into questions. But uh, medical nemesis Ivan Illich, he says, modern medicine is a negation of health. It isn't organized to serve human health, uh, but only itself as an institution. It makes more people sick than it heals. And this quote was fresh in my mind after arguing with this guy, because arguing the, the, the that English guy, it, it, arguing the details with him was completely worthless, because if he didn't like accept the foundation that medical intervention was a long history of unscientific practices. Like we would never get anywhere with talking about the, the details of anything. And so that, and, and again, all your work exemplifies that, that, that is the big problem that these people have no, well, maybe they do know what they're doing, but they're, they're doing things in harmful ways to hurt people. Uh, I, yeah. The, I, I've done some uh, newsletters talking about the uh, events in uh, American medicine in particular, starting around uh, 1850 when the uh, American Medical Association uh, d decided to take over the world. Uh, uh, they uh, really uh, were a very hostile group that wanted to uh, racially, uh, they saw herbalists and uh, uh, other 
theories of healing. Uh, they saw them as as inferior people. Uh, Native Americans uh, had some very exp- uh, effective uh, techniques, but uh, they connected it to to racism. Uh, black people were excluded, uh, and uh, the. the uh, uh, practical medicine, uh, a, a lot of it that had been brought from Africa, uh, that was excluded. Uh, and what, what was left was uh, what has been called uh, allopathic medicine, the, the use of a, a single chemical uh, to uh, treat a, a single uh, defined disease. Uh, and so it it created a, a, an essentialist rather than an environmentalist uh, approach to disease, uh, and uh, the treatment of it uh, became a, a, a very controllable uh, uh, one remedy for one disease, uh, and only the doctors were qualified to name the disease uh, and therefore to prescribe the uh, one specific uh, chemicals that would treat it. A, a totally uh, fraudulent, uh, anti-scientific view from the ground up. And, and the cures are worse than the disease, the burn, cut, poison, the strategies. Uh, uh, yeah, and all that comes from uh, the same essentialist thing, that, that cancer is essentially not, uh, not human material, uh, and all that can be done because it has essentially changed its nature is to kill it. Uh, So the whole concept is uh, uh, to kill it, uh, not not to heal the person who uh, happens to be producing that that tumor. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Just to refresh my memory, the essentialism, that's like a immutable traits that can't change. Is that what that is? Uh, yeah, that, that uh, a gene is immortal, uh, that, that our properties, our qualities are immortal, uh, and they consist of, of the immortal genes, uh, separate, something absolutely separate from our uh, somatic selves, uh, the, the germline, uh, uh, they, they created an imaginary uh, uh, embryological history of of developing the gonads. Uh, 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 they, they claimed to, to see something that uh, can't be seen under the microscope. And uh, until about the year 2000, uh, biologists just absolutely uh, had complete faith in uh, that uh, uh, cluster of assertions about uh, immutability of of traits, uh, the, the uh, uh, Gregor Mendel uh, uh, theory of of inheritance, uh, uh, which was essentially uh, uh, designed to uh, counter Darwin and Lamarck and evolutionary thinking. Uh, not, nothing evolves if you have et- eternal parts that are uh, constantly coming back in different proportions. Thank you for that. We won't keep you too much longer, Ray. Um, so just to do some Q&As and Georgie uh, interrupt at any time. Um, okay, so our first question here is, can you ask Ray, what is what is an electron? What do they look like? What are they made of? <laughs> uh, 
that's something that a, a, a good chemistry professor or or biologist might actually consider. But the physics establishment insists that it's a matter of a verbal set of definitions. Uh, and they won't uh, tolerate uh, such questions uh, as uh, uh, how, how to imagine in a realistic way uh, what is an electron and what is it doing and how does it do it and, and what does resonance mean. Uh, the, uh, they, they say resonance is a matter uh, between an electron and the nucleus, uh, and uh, the, the if you absorb energy from the environment or give it back, it's a matter of changing the relation between the electron uh, and the nucleus. Uh, they don't want to have any images of how the wave front of an electromagnetic field. Uh, approaching the nucleus and the electron, what happens at that interaction? Uh, it's uh, the, the uh, sort of an all or nothing. Uh, you you have to accept their definition and not think very much about it because when you uh, think about it and actually do experiments, uh, you, you violate their essential definitions. Uh, uh, for example, a, a German uh, researcher, uh, Helmut Schultz, I, I think his name was, uh, uh, put, put a, a, a laser beam horizontally through a thin crystal inserted in the electron beam of an electron microscope and uh, an inert, uh, I think, aluminum oxide field uh, for the electrons to hit. Uh, no, no film or phosphor. Uh, so the electrons hitting the uh, uh, field uh, shouldn't, shouldn't have done anything visible. But the color of laser going perpendicularly through the crystal added a resonant frequency to supposedly a beam of pure electrons and an electron supposedly resonates only with reference to its nucleus but the beam coming through the crystal in this experiment broke up into blue spots on the inert target area, uh, showing that uh, the laser energy was being absorbed by the electron itself, not not an atom-electron system, but the electron itself hitting a target somehow uh, released the uh, energy that it had resonated with. Uh, uh, that that has been repeated 
the, the experiment has been done uh, different times, uh, and it, uh, uh, it represents something uh, true about reality, but it totally uh, un- undermines the whole uh, official physics doctrine about what an electron is. So is an electron essentially a standing wave in the neutrino city? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, whatever that means. <laughs> it, uh, well, I mean, well, it's it's a wave, it's a wave object, if you if you can call it that. It's not a a point like particle, which is what they uh, yeah, they call yeah, it. To uh, be. And the, the neutrino C itself is is uh, waves. Uh, yeah, hard hard to visualize. Great stuff. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, can you ask him if he has heard of Walter Kilner? And if so, what he thinks about his use of dicyanin to observe the observe the human aura? I hadn't heard of it. Oh, can, can you comment on the, the aura? Is that just an uh, extension of like field field theory or these bioelectric fields I, around us? I, I suspect that uh, uh, people are actually seeing... Uh, that field. Uh, uh, at, at the time, I, I was having my uh, very intense electrical fields, uh, uh, a psychic uh, that I, I didn't know but was visiting a, a roommate, uh, uh, told my roommate that I had an, a, a very uh, weird aura. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> when she went through the room, uh, she seemed to be cringing. Uh, <laughs> like she was uh, avoiding heat coming off me or something. That's what Aphrodite noticed. That's why you guys had such a good connection. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> what, but Could th- it be a projection of the hologram that the brain creates of reality as a model inside the organism? So it just extends uh, just a little bit outside of the body. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think other organisms can tune in and, and get the picture. Okay, uh, what does Ray see in his mind when he thinks of the cell? Uh, uh, a, a series of things, uh, cells that I have seen. Like the, those new elaborate kind of uh, digital images where they're all like, they like, look, looks like something, somebody threw something against the wall and it's kind of like a spatter thing. Is that the image uh, that you have? Uh, no, no? no I, think, I think of them as little personalities. <laughs> <laughs> what what like how do you, how do you explain the discrepancy but of thinking of there are like these round things and then these those new photos of them being kind of these scatter things or are both of those incorrect interpretations uh, yeah each cell has its uh, field uh, and uh, uh, like uh, ortega gasset said of of a person that uh, i am i am my circumstance uh, the, the cell is uh, in the same situation as a person uh, uh, itself and its circumstance are, are identical. So uh, as soon as the circumstance changes, the cell is no longer what it was. Appreciate that, Georgie. Interrupt anytime. Uh, can Dr. Pete elaborate on bi- a bioenergetic view of sex determination during embryonic development? Would the mother's hormonal environment play a big role in the process? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, temperature hormones, uh, uh, stress hormones in particular, uh, uh, in uh, fish and reptiles, uh, and uh, 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 
bird, birds even, the, the temperature uh, is very uh, essential to developing the ratio. We lost so it entirely depends on temperature, right? Like uh, alligators, when they lay eggs, if it's hot, it's mostly males or uh, that they get uh, yeah. catch? Yeah, uh, and uh, chickens, the same thing. Early in the season, I forget which way it is, but it's uh, a balance that's beneficial uh, to have lots of females uh, uh, relative to males uh, uh, when conditions are going to be optimal. Do you think the high ratio of females to males, do you think that's nature's essentially uh, protective mechanism to, to the species? I mean, protecting the species from disappearing if the environment is not good, it's better to have more females than males cause, because one male can essentially ensure the continuation. But if you have uh, equal amount or more males, it becomes more difficult to reproduce. Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Uh, okay, another one here. Uh, our- so, uh, as an extension, the recent statistics that we're seeing all over the world that are m- a lot more girls are being born, aside from endocrine disruptors that are known to be estrogenic and that can cause it, could it be also be a sign that the, the conditions are deteriorating in our environment and the human race basically is producing more more women in order to have a higher chance of survival? That sounds very reasonable. Oh, you just reminded me of something. What that IQ drop of kids that were born in 2020? What, I mean, is this going to result in a profoundly stupid society in the next 10, 20 years? Uh, yeah, there, there was a, a, a. Have you read Ernest Sternglass's uh, books hmm. or, or articles? Uh, he, he studied the effects of radiation on uh, miscarriages uh, and. Uh, uh, the the uh, uh, ratio of of uh, boys surviving and and so on and uh, he shows that at the peak atmospheric contamination from the 1963 uh, bomb competition uh, that atmospheric testing of nuclear bombs uh, 18 years later uh, the uh, uh, academic uh, scores of all sorts. The uh, 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 what's the standard exam uh, that high school? Uh, uh, anyway, the the uh, a- average score went down, uh, and uh, the uh, genetic uh, people said that's because uh, uh, more poor people uh, are taking the test. But he showed very clearly that the uh, looking at just the highest scoring uh, 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 portion of the population, uh, that the greatest decrease uh, uh, 18 years after the uh, radiation peak, the greatest decrease was in the highest scoring category. Uh, so it lowered the average, but it uh, even more drastically uh, knocked out the exceptionally uh, competent uh, uh, kids of that age. You've read about the, they call it the Flynn effect, right? The rising IQ scores throughout most of the 20th century, then in the 90s, they plateaued. And after 2000, they've been steadily dropping. Uh, uh, yeah, even though uh, some countries show uh, lately that the 
uh, ratio of the brain uh, to the body weight and height uh, has decreased in several countries. And that's not even were these developed countries or or uh, uh, yeah, Germany. Word? Germany was one of them. Oh wow! Not even accounting for the indefinite mRNA vaccine vaccines these kids are going to have to deal with. Okay, uh, here's another one. Are Sheldrake's morphic fields and Vernadsky's noosphere the same thing? Uh, yeah, yeah, they could be. Uh, it's. Uh, <clears throat> The, the um, uh, general optimistic uh, view of reality uh, is uh, connecting them and behind them uh, uh, that the universe itself uh, is uh, uh, conscious in, in some intentional way uh, that uh, 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 Vernadsky uh, said uh, in the midst of, of, of the ending of, of the Second World War, uh, he, he was uh, surrounded by destruction and uh, and death. But he said uh, he was confident that the uh, world would uh, find a way out of it by increasing its metabolic rate, uh, accumulating carbon dioxide, warming things up making brains get bigger, making plants grow faster, uh, uh, everything working more intensely. Uh, and uh, the, the noosphere uh, idea is uh, uh, the, the basic thing that we're, we're all headed in that direction uh, just because of the nature of, of the universe. Did Russian science incorporate like Vernadsky's geocosmic realism into their, their thinking? Uh, uh, yeah, a large part of, of the establishment did. Do you think he's... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, 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 there were the uh, dogmatic... Uh, 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 I think of them as, as the Hegelian Marxists, uh, the, the ones that uh, thought the dialectic was uh, some uh, mysterious... Uh, thing, uh, but um, uh, the, the uh, average, uh, intelligent, uh, well-read uh, uh, Russian uh, biologists and, and scientists in general uh, uh, had that uh, uh, sort of uh, an emergence uh, orientation that uh, uh, it's part of the Marxist meaning of the dialectic, uh, but it goes with uh, an optimistic uh, view of what the cosmos is all about. Amazing. Thank you for that. <clears throat> Give me a second here. <laughs> okay. Ray has previously mentioned how our ruling class uh, damaged art in the 20th century and highlighted the creation of Rockefeller ghost art. If a counterculture painting movement was to start today, what themes, styles, or subjects would Ray like to uh, see captured or communicated? Many thanks from Australia. I, I, th I think a little bit of the, uh, uh, the realism of Franz Hals, uh, uh, the, the uh, per perceiving uh, uh, interesting things uh, uh, in people, 
any anything that uh, is uh, a worthwhile insight about the nature of people and their interactions. Uh, uh, Franz Hall Hals was uh, uh, very confident at uh, capturing such things. Yeah, what, but did you mention him in Generative Energy in 1994? You said that. What do you like? It's like more alive, his paintings. They were not just like a static, boring view of the person, or they reflected something about their personality? Uh, yeah, he he could perceive intensely enough uh, that he could capture instantaneous things uh, that, uh, that represented much more of the person uh, than a photograph would have. Yeah, his paintings are, you, you can easily see that when you're looking at his paintings. Okay. Um, okay. We'll, we'll wrap it up here very soon. Okay. Uh, does Ray think starch is responsible for a change in personality towards war and conquer that has caused the atrocities since the beginning of agriculture? Well, it goes with, with malnutrition, uh, uh, the, the high starch diets, uh, uh, end up, tending to be deficient in uh, some of the essential nutrients, <laughs> uh, high high phosphate, stress-inducing uh, things that make people uh, irritable and uh, authoritarian, high high serotonin uh, outcome of, of the inflammatory diet. Great stuff. And Georgie, interrupt me at any point here. Uh, just a few more here. Okay. Uh, what is the cost of getting drunk occasionally, like blackout, passed out in the front yard, naked, drunk, <laughs> like <laughs> like five times a year, not financially, but like on your health and longevity? <laughs> I, I, I think it's very stressful uh, to, to lose your consciousness. Maybe you told somebody an email a long time ago that it like greatly depletes your liver glycogen and it would take multiple days to recover. That's that's my experience. Like drinking is never worth it because I'll feel so awful the next few days, and so it, it, it just affects some people uh, more than others based on their ability to store liver glycogen. Do you think? Uh, yeah, I think so. Wouldn't taking a hefty dose of progesterone largely replicate the effects of getting drunk? Uh, oh. It, it um, increases your uh, ability to store uh, glycogen, uh, so it doesn't have any uh, long-term negative effects. Uh, but when I accidentally uh, overdose on it, uh, and uh, I, I noticed that coordination of my hands and feet uh, was impossible for a while. Uh, but uh, when I deliberately took a, a very large amount uh, be, because I had a, a bad migraine, uh, uh, I went with the uh, uh, euphoria, uh, simply went to sleep in about two minutes and uh, had no more headache. But, but when it comes on accidentally and you uh, uh, are where you should be able to use your hands and feet, it's embarrassing. Okay, let me just do one more advertisement, then we'll close out the show here. Okay, so you can purchase Ray's newsletter for $30 for 12 issues over three years, four times uh, a year. You can purchase his book at, uh, books at Ray Pete's uh, by emailing newsletter at gmail.com uh, from PMS to menopause, progesterone and orthomolecular medicine, generative energy, mind and tissue, nutrition for women. And then if you want to purchase uh, progesterone, uh, progesterone specifically from Kenogen, email Catherine at kenogen at gmail.com. 
Each bottle contains 3,400 milligrams of progesterone. And then, Ray, I, again, people hate when I ask you to speculate, but what do you think we're in store for in 2022? Uh, I, I think uh, the uh, resistors are going to put up more and more resistance, but uh, uh, Bill Gates has already said that uh, the, the uh, people are working on a, a vaccine for the Marburg hemorrhagic fever uh, uh, virus, which is similar to the Ebola virus uh, and kills up to 90% of the people it infects. Uh, and he says that uh, is likely to be the next epidemic. Uh, and since they are about ready to have a vaccine uh, for it, I, I think he might be right. Uh, as soon as a, a vaccine is uh, uh, able to come to market at a, a profit of uh, half a trillion dollars, then then we can have the Marburg epidemic. But uh, I, I think the resistance is gaining faster than than the clever World Economic Forum uh, schemers uh, can. Uh, uh, dream up catastrophes to happen to us. But if this Warburg virus, if it's so deadly, just like Ebola, then it can't really be a pandemic because it's going to kill most of the hosts before it has a chance to spread, right? How would you have a pandemic with that? Uh, um, it, it, it's just scarier, uh, and that's all that's needed is uh, to have a vaccine that is going to save everyone uh, and all it has to do is is uh, kill a, a few dozen people that they didn't want anyway, uh, and then uh, they can uh, sell a trillion dollars worth of vaccines. It'll probably be much more easy to mandate because they'll be, look, this is truly deadly. Uh, don't resist because COVID is nothing compared to this. Yeah. But you're saying they could actually release something harmful, not like COVID uh, being a mild type of thing, and but this actually being harmful? Uh, uh, yeah, since so many people have caught on that uh, don't want the vaccine and realize that the vaccine mortality goes up uh, the first month after being vaccinated, higher than uh, not receiving the vaccine. Uh, that that awareness is getting out, uh, and so they need uh, something uh, really to scare people, uh, show people uh, bleed bleeding out of their eyes and ears, and uh, uh, a, a, a real horror show. Well, yeah, that would do it. And you, so this second act, you think it was strategic in making it even more gruesome. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that's why they're interested in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, well, we have that look to look forward to in 2020. <laughs> very, very excited about that. Can't wait. <laughs> okay, Ray, stay on the line. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out. Sincerely appreciate this year. Uh, other than being a total horror show, uh, I've had fun doing this podcast. And Georgie and Ray, you guys always make it really special. And this, th these have been my anchor this year of, of doing these. And I... Sincerely appreciate all the viewership and you guys are just a great, uh, great audience and you guys always give positive feedback. And so sincerely appreciate it. So Georgie Dinkoff, thank you so much. And Ray, thank you so much. Just, um, 
It's been really incredible, and I, I can't wait to continue to do it in 2022. So right, stay on the line, and guys, have a safe weekend. We'll talk to you guys soon, and have a good New Year's, and peace out. Bye, everyone.